Hey, and welcome to the Six Minute Mile podcast. A few years ago, Outside Magazine interviewed a bunch of elite athletes to figure out the toughest endurance sport in the world. Their verdict, Nordic ski racing. So I guess it's not a huge surprise that the best ultra runner in the world, Courtney DeWalter, kicked off her athletic career as a Nordic ski racer in the frigid hills of Minnesota. At the University of Denver, she helped her ski team win a national championship before switching to trail running shortly after graduation. Since making that move, Courtney has left her competition in the dust. She has won the women's division at most of the biggest ultras in the world and has even started beating all the guys in her races. She is at the same time super intense and super chill. She loves a profound challenge like finishing one race while temporarily blinded as much as she loves a burger and a beer. We had a blast ping-ponging ideas off Courtney on everything from the movie Fargo to how she would stack up in a road marathon. Enjoy, and we'll see you out there. How are you? Are you uh, where are you now? In Colorado? In Colorado, yeah. We no, don't have any cool phrases like that. <laughs> <laughs> in Minnesota, you do though, right? Minnesota's oh, good. Oh all- sure, oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> Is Fargo your favorite movie? <laughs> no, but if I'm ever missing the accent, I tune into that for sure. Now I was so whatever they do uh, movies set in Boston, I'm always very critical of the accent. So like, ah, it's not a real Boston accent. Or oh, that guy's pretty good. But yeah, is, were the Fargo accents like sort of on target? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some of it where they nailed that Northern Minnesota accent, and I love it. I think it's such a fun one. So. <laughs> Well, no, and yeah, I'm with you. I, I grew up in New Hampshire. And then when I went away to school, people would tease me so much for my accent. They're like, ah, come over here, say ka again. Like, yeah. What? That's how normal people talk. Stop yeah. making fun of me. But the, it's usually when I'm really tired or I've had a beer, then the, then the R's will drop a little. I don't know, yeah. you, slip, you slip back into your Minnesotan once in a while? I do, especially when I go home. My family is still there. And so if I spend any you know, extended amount of time there, I'll come back with it again. Uh, but mostly I think it's gone away over the years. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a total ski racing geek. So I'm, I'll, I'll probably lose uh, three quarters of our audience here by starting out the chat, asking about your ski racing career. But, um, but so you, you were a pretty accomplished Nordic skier, right? Uh, yeah, I did quite a few years of racing Nordic skiing Uh, Growing up in Minnesota, it's a really big sport in the high school and like club level system. So uh, we were really fortunate to have like groomed trails on all the golf courses and local parks and um, yeah, to have something so cool to do during the winter for those endurance, you know, racing kicks is pretty fun. And did you, as a kid, did you realize that was a little bit unique? I mean, it's hard to hard to know what the rest of the world is doing when you're 12 years old, but did you, did you get a sense of appreciation that, Hey, this is kind of a cool program. Most kids probably are not doing this right now. I didn't really, because um, even then when we would travel to a different area, a different region and do some racing there, everyone showing up was, you know, club skiers and we would be at a venue that had this groomed area. So it wouldn't be so apparent Um, But then when I came to college at the University of Denver, um, suddenly we were driving to practice an hour, an hour, 20 minutes away because that's the closest groomed trails. And then Uh, it became really clear, like how fortunate we were in Minnesota to 
have such a great system throughout the Twin Cities area. Absolutely. And um, were, did you wind up skiing all four years at DU? I did, yeah. And the team was really good in that era, right? Yeah, they have a great ski team, great ski program, had some amazing teammates and coaches. So I feel really fortunate for that. And was there a national championship in there while you were at DU? There was, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Do you have like a, a gold belt or something to go with all your other like Western States belt buckles? And uh, I think it was, it's like a ring. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, as, not as cool as the belt buckle. And I don't know. What, what do you get for UTMB? That's probably an awesome finisher prize. Or uh, they prize. don't do a belt buckle for UTMB, I don't think. Uh, uh, like a big cowbell. Oh, that's good. Yeah. One, one of the Alpine is always useful. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know one of the Alpine races in Europe. I think you get a goat or something, right? It really... Oh, really? Yeah, I think Michaela Schiffer owns like four goats. So <laughs> something. So look into that when, when you start your own. Uh, when you start your own uh, ultra race, you gotta. That'll be the prize. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, some, it's a clever idea. <laughs> lifetime supply of loot fish. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we'll get serious here in a minute. Don't worry. Um, so, um, but uh, kind of coming back to the Nordic stuff. I mean, the Nordic. I I tried this in high school a couple of times. So I grew up in New Hampshire, and we we had this. I don't know if Minnesota did this, but we had it was called the Ski Meister Award. So you had to do giant slalom, slalom. Uh, Nordic ski jumping and Nordic, you know, ski cross country. Oh, cool! Ski. But that killed me, like because my technique was horrible. But that is to this day, I think it's the hardest thing I ever did. And I probably only did four races. I had to do it for these four championship things for the team. And um, but Nordic skiers are are insanely tough. Does that was is that part of your mental makeup? Was it sort of formed by the Nordic background? It's definitely got to play a part. I can't, you know, put my finger on exactly what it is, but for sure, growing up in Minnesota, um, doing Nordic skiing and then having really fantastic coaches and teammates have got to all be factors in that. It is a tough sport and um, it's like really physical, like you need the strength, but it's also really cardio and it's non-impact. So you could just like hammer yourself into, oh, you know, right. the red zone for a really long time and stay there. Um, which, you know, when you watch Nordic skiers in the Olympics, like Jesse Diggins, for example, yes. she finishes a Nordic ski race and she's totally gassed. Like they cross the line and they're panting on the ground for a few minutes usually. Um, so it's gotta be a great sport to grow up doing. I, I loved it, but I also don't have anything to compare it to because yeah, yeah. that's how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and But you wind up with crazy upper body strength too as a Nordic skier, right? Yeah, it's good full body. Like yeah. everything's involved. Your core is super important, uh, your arms and legs, and then definitely your head. Like you're still pushing and it's still a mental game. So all of those are key factors and uh, yeah. It's a cool sport. If people haven't done it, they should try and give it a few times because you're right. It is really hard, especially if you don't have the technique or you like, then it just feels extra hard. So yeah. when I taught my husband a couple of years ago, he was like dying out there and could, you know, barely go a foot. And now he's kind of figured it out and thinks it's enjoyable. So 
it takes some time to to get your feet under you no it's a cool sport i still like banging around the woods once in a while and um and yeah and it is a great workout so i mean you you back then you could probably do like 25 pull-ups or something right (laughs) (laughs) one-handed yeah just with my pinky finger that's (laughs) it with your teeth somehow i don't know no i don't know that i was doing pull-ups back then and i'm still not now so (laughs) (laughs) i hear you and now do you ever ski as part of cross training i do yeah i've um yeah i'd been missing it i a few years in a row i just wasn't getting up to the mountains to go out cross-country skiing but this past winter, I really picked it up and made a point of it because it is such great cross training. And I was trying to give my body like a little bit of time off from all the running. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I still love it so much. And, and, uh, but does that, so do you do anything else for cross training or is that, is that your favorite cross training activity? That's my favorite for yeah. sure. In the summer, I'll hop on a road bike sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's a new uh, development for me. A, a year ago, I would have said that I only run and it's all the time running. Um, and I've learned a little bit over the last year, year and a half where cross training is important. And so fitting in some road biking and some cross country skiing are important now. And was that a hard lesson? Was it, um, I mean, you've been relatively lucky with injuries, but I know you've had some tough injuries. Is that, is that kind of how you came to realize that, Hey, I've got to do more than just run. Yeah, it was, uh, an injury last summer that, you know, kind of opened my eyes to all of these things like, uh, taking recovery seriously, actually stretching and foam rolling and doing some, you know, consistent weight training, and then to also incorporate that cross training to get the volume you want without the impact. Yeah. And I know you've said in the past that you've, you've been pretty open-minded and flexible about training and even not having a set plan every morning when you wake up. Is that still true or, do you, or have you tried to dial that in a little bit more and think about, you know, compartmentalized training and cycles? It is still true that I don't follow a training plan or, um, really have any idea what I'm going to do each day. I and love that. I, I like that. Yeah. It's, I think it uh, depends on who you are as a person, if that would work for you, but for me, it works perfectly. Um, and I guess the only structure I've added in would be that now I do like a whole 30 to 60 minute routine before going running with oh. some just hip activation stuff, some uh, glute activation and body weight exercises to activate the muscles and then to just fit in some of that strength training that my physical therapist after my injury taught me were important pieces to keep asking so much from my body. (laughs) Right. So, but you've been pretty good about doing that 30 to 60 minutes before you go out the door. Yeah. Almost a hundred percent. I'd say 99% of the time I'll do it. Do you, do you dread it or have you come to like it? No, I like it. Yeah. Sometimes it's like a weekend morning where my husband, like we were drinking coffee and we just want to, you know, go. And so then I might skip it instead of, you know, well, wait one hour for me and then we can go. Yeah. Um, right, right, right. Right. So it'll be something like that. But otherwise in just everyday life, I'll, I like it. It's a just good start to the morning usually. And um, so, so what does that routine look like? 
Is it something uh, that everyday runners could learn from, or is it more geared to people who are about to go out and run for four hours? I think everyone could learn from it and it's nothing like earth shattering. It's just things I wasn't doing and then being consistent with them. So there'll be um, like a bunch of core work I'll do, you know, just planks or um, different, different arrangements of sit-ups that you can do. And then a lot of stuff with those stretchy bands. Oh, so, yeah. Yep. Um, I learned all these hip activation exercises with those stretchy bands. When I got injured, basically it like wakes everything up and reminds it to work. And then also works on like strengthening some of those muscles. So uh, it'll be a lot of that or squats, stuff like that. But I don't have like a huge gym set up. It's usually just a yoga mat and then some of those stretchy bands and that's it. I like it. That's how you're going to make your, <laughs> make your billions with uh, you know, your, your online video series on your, yeah. how, how you overcame major injury and prevented all others. So is, is there billions of dollars in that? Uh, somehow. <laughs> yes. We're going to, we're going to figure that out in the next 30 minutes. I promise. Yeah. That's, let that's, me know. <laughs> that's well, you know, it's one of the things I wanted to ask you about as I'm assuming this is, this is way too personal a question, but I'll ask it anyway, but, but I'm assuming even though what you do is, in my opinion, is 10 times cooler than winning a road marathon, there's, there's not as much money in ultras as there is in, in road racing. Is that, am I right about that? Uh, I would say you're accurate in that statement. Yeah. Like winning a major road marathon, I mean, it's like, what, $100,000 maybe? It sounds right. Yeah. For New York, yeah. Boston, or Chicago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it is not that in the ultra running world. <laughs> so, but you can, but you can make a living at it, right? Uh, I am. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm making it work and, um, uh, yeah, just really enjoying the, the ride while it's here and focusing on it, you know, knowing that this ride will end eventually. So having some fun getting to, to chase my dreams in the mountains. And, but when you say the ride will end, you mean being able to compete at that high of a level? Yeah. I mean, who knows what can happen tomorrow, you know, right. like things are crazy. And, um, I know that like my body is not invincible to injuries. And so who knows, you know, what thing could happen in the next day or year or five years. And so just really trying to stay in the moment and, and enjoy the ride well while it's going. Absolutely. And coming back to your mindset where you said that that idea of, Hey, I, you'd like it better going out the door and not knowing whether you're going for four miles or 40, but what, what is it about how your brain works that, that makes that work for you? Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's how my brain works or I don't know, but for me, I like the freedom to wake up every day and then decide what sounds good based on how I'm feeling. And so I don't want someone or program or a written list of workouts I have to do that week. Like I want to really be able to respond to how my body and brain are doing throughout the week. And if they're, you know, too exhausted or everything's going well and we could, you know, dial it up a couple notches. I also think it's a fun science experiment on myself. Like part of the draw of ultra running for me is the puzzle and just there's so many pieces and figuring those out and then 
thinking you've solved it and have it, you know, come crashing down where you have to start again, basically. Um, so the training piece for me is a fun puzzle that I get to figure out with myself every day. Yeah, right. Because there's so many more components to what you do, right? It, you learn a lot by running road marathons. I mean, you're always going to get smarter about your training and smarter about your racing in a road marathon, but, but you, you have gear and equipment and nutrition and sleep and, um, yeah, yeah, way yeah. different pacing. So, but that, but that really appeals to you that, that sort of the, the yeah. intuitive science and the, the literal science. Yeah. I love it. I love, uh, thinking of it as this puzzle that I can tinker with all of the parts of it to see, you know, what's the best combination of things that will get me moving the most efficiently over this specific terrain. And then each ultra, you know, offers a new type of challenge, whether it's the type of terrain it is, the distance, the weather, you know, all of these pieces can be uh, added in uh, randomly or on purpose so that you can, you know, keep finding new things to solve. Well, I, you know, I remember I'm a lot older than you are, but I remember watching on TV when Bill Koch won the first ever American uh, cross country Nordic ski racing medal. No American ever won a medal before. And I remember the interview and after, and they said, uh, how much of this was is mental and how much is physical? And he said, oh, it, it's 80% mental. And the, and I remember the, the, the questioner, the commentator was shocked. He's like, wait, what? 80% mental? <laughs> like, like I could go out and do it. She's like, no, no, no. Everybody's at a certain amazing base fitness level, but then it's just, then it's a mental game and it's strategy and it's like fighting through pain. But is that part of what appeals to you about what you, because I imagine it's a, a massive component of what you do is, is mental, right? For sure. It's a huge part. And uh, that's actually like, I love all of the puzzle pieces and the training and the, you know, physical parts of ultra running, but the mental side of it is one of the most interesting parts for me. And I think that's why I'm really drawn to the longer ultras, the, you know, ones that will take you over 24 hours, um, where you really are going to have to dig into that mental side and like sit in your brain and push the gas pedal just in your brain in order to keep your feet moving. And that's pretty cool. I think I keep being amazed by how powerful our brains can be. And, um, you know, when we're certain that we couldn't move another step, if we can somehow tap into the brain part of it, we find ourselves moving, you know, many more steps, many more miles. And that's just crazy and so cool to, to play with and to keep testing and seeing what's possible. Well, I know one of our, our company's co-founders, a great guy named Bob Crowley. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with Bob. I think he's on the board of the American Trail Running Association now, but but he told me once, and he's done UTMB and all these races, and he's in his early 60s, and he still will do a couple 200 milers a year. But he he always said that when you get to the point where, he said the science shows or you get to the point where you are absolutely convinced you can't take another step, that you're about to die, the science shows you've got about 20% left in the tank. Uh, have you ever heard that? I don't know if that's... I haven't, but I believe it. Does I mean, that sort of... I mean, so are they... Cool. Yeah. But do you, do you feel that? Or do you feel certain points of the race? Like, wow, this is really crazy. I've, I've already proven myself. I don't, you know, I'm in deep pain, tailing. I don't really need to finish this. Or do you uh, not let your mind go there? I don't let it go there. But um, every time I'm hoping to get to that 20%, I think 
Um, every time we can go into that part that's past the obvious effort area, we expand our ability to do it again and to you know go farther or faster in there. So that uh, secret 20% is I, everyone has it for sure. And it's just right. figuring out how to actually push yourself into it. That's usually the trickiest part. And in the case of ultras though, it's a little different from coming down the last two miles of a marathon where you say, wow, I've got to, you know, I'm going to pick up my, even though I'm exhausted, I've got to pick up my pace by 10 seconds a mile. You're, you have a different mental challenge, right? You're, it's not necessarily about just picking, running a little faster on a flat track, right? So what is that mental challenge like when you get to those really tough points where you, you got to dip into 20%? Yeah. I mean, it could be trying to run a little bit faster if you're yeah. trying to chase someone down or you're zoning in on the end of an ultra. Sometimes those tough moments come like if you're in a hundred mile race, maybe you're, you have a really tough moment at mile 30 and then you've got to figure out how to make your 20% last you for 70 miles. Yeah. And so then, yeah, it is about problem solving. It's about staying calm in the moment and, you know, accepting that this is the situation you have and your only solution is to then just keep moving forward with however that looks. So, uh, yeah, it's the same. I mean, I think someone doing a 5k and someone doing a hundred miles, they're doing the same basic thing. It's just the pace and the amount of time, but like anyone who's run, you know, farther than they think they can, like they can relate to what it feels like then to run a hundred miles or whatever it is. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and do you fear for your health at certain points? How do you make that assessment? Because you're a little, you know, you're lightheaded. And I think you've said you even will hallucinate sometimes. And, but do you, how do you make that mental assessment? I know, I know you'll have, you know, at, at the check-in stations, they will do a, they'll do an assessment for you or help you through that assessment. But, but you have to do that mental assess or physical mental assessment constantly throughout the race, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for the most part, my mindset is, that any little flags that pop up that are trying to tell me something's wrong are just like your brain's trying to take an easy escape right. to make the hurting stop. And so for the most part, I'll ignore all of those signals um, that anything is wrong unless it's like, you know, alarm bells start ringing and then I will tune in and like pay attention. But during an ultra constantly there's just the body check and the mind check going on so maybe i'll zone out for you know a few miles or hours or whatever and yeah. then i'll tune back in and i'll just check the systems you know what's going on where am i is anything you know throwing out alarm bells where it's really going to be a problem and um, if it's all those little flags then i just shove those aside because uh for the most part, I do think they are just, you know, your brain is like, oh, I could make this stop if I just, uh, you know, make her feel dehydrated or something. Oh, right, right, right. And then huh. uh, you, they, the body gets to stop hurting and moving. But most In things 
I think you can work through. <laughs> I'm and also not a doctor though. So just. <laughs> no, I like this approach. It, well, but it is, it's always the classic. If I tell you, don't think about a red fire truck for the next five seconds. It's that's about impossible, right? Maybe the men, yeah. most mentally strong people on the planet won't think about the red fire truck, but, <laughs> but you, but you sort of have to do that over and over. So how do you do that to say like, stop thinking about my left ankle, keep going. Yeah. Uh, you, do you have just, tricks or you have mental, you know, routines that you go through? No, I mean, I'll, I'll repeat mantras to myself. Like, um, a lot of times the mantra is just, you're fine. This is fine. And I'll just say that over and over so that if my ankle is hurting or I'm throwing up in the bushes or, you know, whatever it is, if I'm just repeating, you're fine, this is fine. Then it just slows the whole system down. I think where I can, you know, process facts and then figure out how to solve them or how to just keep pushing past the problems. So I think mantras can be really powerful in that way. Did you, was there much thought that went into, I'm fine, you're fine, this is fine? I think it just happened one race where like, I just was talking out loud to myself, like everything was going wrong or something. And, you know, it was like, I was stressing out about if I was going to be able to finish or how fast I might be able to finish. And then it was just like, why are you doing that? This is fine. Like, here you are, you're fine. Everything is fine. Just keep plugging along with what you can right now. But at this point, it must be like a little bit of like the teddy bear now, right? You're like, oh, yeah. I can, I, I can always go back to, I'm fine. This yeah, is fine. This is fine. <laughs> but, but, but that's kind of your friend now, probably. Yeah, for sure. Maybe I need a new one so that it's not so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I would stick with it, but what do I know? I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not winning. 240 mile races <laughs> someday you, you'll tell me that it's just just a mental block that's the only thing preventing me maybe yeah by the end of this we'll have you registering for the next 200 miler i like it and you'll be on path to be a billionaire so <laughs> helping each other so um now speaking of throwing throwing up in the bushes so you, you've been pretty outspoken about um you're not you're not necessarily treating your body as a nutritional temple during races or you're in training like you're not afraid to eat some pretty nasty stuff even during races right well i would call it delicious but i mean <laughs> i would too whatever word you want to use uh yes i eat and drink whatever sounds good in my normal life um yeah i'm not restricting food groups or counting any specific things i want to just enjoy life and um you know, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. So we should Man. enjoy it while it's here. I, during a race, however, I have dialed down like what nutrition works for me when I'm out running. And so um, in that, I keep it really simple. If I'm racing less than a hundred miles, I'll just do tailwind, honey stinger and mashed potatoes. And if I'm racing over a hundred miles, I add in foods basically just because I get hungry. And so the foods yeah. that I've added in are like any carbohydrate, pizza, pierogies, gnocchi, pancakes, quesadillas. Um, I have been known to crave a McDonald's cheeseburger during a 200 plus mile race. And so that's worked fine. But yeah, I keep it pretty simple otherwise for nutrition during races. In life, anything goes. But are you what, what? So, what's your staple? 
I don't know if, if you're eating, you know, you're probably eating 3000 calories a day or something crazy, but, but what's, are three quarters of those carbs or three quarters of those coming out of salads or sauteed veggies? Like what, what's, what's the mainstay of your diet? Uh, it's a lot of carbs and, uh, I would say a decent amount of veggies. Yeah. My husband and I don't love cooking, but we cook because it's food so that we get to do activities. Um, so there's, yeah, there's nothing like magic happening in the kitchen over here, but in the summer we love grilling. So, you know, throwing some meat on the grill with some veggies, uh, maybe some sort of salad or something is pretty common in a summer night. Yeah. So, um, and, but that works for you, but other people might get some mental strength, I guess, by knowing that their diet is dialed in and they're weighing every portion and that sort of thing. I mean, do you run into a lot of ultra runners who do that? For sure. I think yeah. it's all over the board and I think it, uh, everyone gets to choose how they want to live their life. So if they would like to do that, or they would like to give me advice that I should treat my body more like a nutritional temple, that's fine. I don't, I don't <laughs> mind, but um, I don't intend to change my diet anytime soon. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Um, and what about, uh, people probably ask us all the time, but sleep on the trail. Do you like cat naps? Do you, do, you, do you curl up on the side of the trail and do 15 minutes or do you like to just power through? Uh, only if necessary, I'll take a, a short trail nap and then I'll usually try to keep it under six minutes if I'm doing that. So like a one, two or three minute trail nap is uh, what I'll go for first to see if that will recharge me. But otherwise I'll power through it because uh, when I'm taking these, it's not like on a normal training run, it's during a race. And so my whole point is to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. Then I need to try and minimize sleep and try some of the shorter versions first before I, you know, give in to something longer if those short ones aren't working. I mean, no, it was in college, sometimes you're studying and you're trying to make up a semester's work in two nights, right? But, and then, <laughs> but a little 15 minute nap is pretty amazing how recharged you can get out of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, I had a one minute nap during a 240 mile race and I woke up feeling more rejuvenated than I do most mornings. Like I just felt recharged, ready to go again. And um, also really excited that this one minute nap had worked. So it was like all these factors making it feel great again. Did you set an alarm? I had someone with me. So I had a pacer running with me at uh, that okay. point, a friend. And uh, I told him one minute as I was like falling towards the ground snoring and he woke me in one minute, but I had such a deep sleep during that one minute that I thought he tricked me and had let me sleep for hours. Like I was like, man, this is a race. We can't sleep for so long. He's like, no, that was 60 seconds. <laughs> wow. So that was the, I mean, that's not a common occurrence, right? But that, that one minute, was that the best, that was the best one minute of sleep of your life? Probably. That's the best one minute sleep of my life. Hands down. <laughs> wow. Is this, is that one of your superpowers is the, the, no. the sleep thing? No, I, it's a puzzle piece still. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm still figuring it out where. Um, I thought then after that race that the one minute nap was just as easy as that. Like it had just happened for me in that, in that 240 miler. So the next time I needed one during a 200 mile race, I tried a 
probably 15 times I laid down for the magic one minute nap and it just, it wouldn't take. So, so you couldn't, couldn't fall asleep or the one minute just didn't. I couldn't fall asleep. Even though I was so tired, I was sleeping while I was running. So every time I was doing that, I would stop and try and, you know, do this recharge, repower nap. And it just wasn't effective that time. And so then it was like, oh, okay, sweet. This is a puzzle piece we still get to play with because it wasn't as easy as just laying down for one minute. (laughs) Wow. That's fascinating. Now, do your, um, your fellow competitors, did they tend to sleep a little more? Uh, it depends. So yeah. the 200 mile race distance is fairly new where um, some people will sign up for it as just this really fun week adventure. Like they get to cover this 200 mile loop in beautiful area and have aid stations along the way. And so they're in no rush, you know, that for them, it's just this cool adventure vacation. Um, Um, And then starting to see more people like try and race it and try and push that pace and see what's possible. And then people are playing a little bit more with the sleep. Oh, interesting. And because the, um, it would, some of the time limits for the 200 milers would, would knock some folks out probably, right? You, you, you DNF, but that's okay with some of those folks who are like, ah, hey, I want to sleep for four hours. Yeah, if they're trying to do it that way, they'll know, they'll probably calculate out like, I'll spend Saturday getting to mile 40 aid station, and then I get to sleep, you know, six hours at night. And then the next day I'll get to the next, you know, target aid station. So usually if they're doing that, they know what they need to do to keep ahead of the cutoffs um, and to still enjoy themselves out there. But you know, still they're covering that amount of distance with their legs, with their feet. And so things, problems come up. And so, yeah, maybe they have blisters that are holding them back from moving as quickly as they need to. And then they do get cut off, but that could happen whether you're sleeping or not. Those problems. Um, And and you've been okay with blisters, knock on wood. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah kind of figured out that recipe for my feet and it's working fine so far. That's good. And then um, you've touched on this a little bit, but for, for people who have not experienced an ultra and I've, I've never run one, but I've worked them. And so I get a tiny feel for what the community feels like, but, but it's a pretty unique subculture in the world. Right. So what is that? What does that feel like to you? Oh, I think it's such a cool community. It's definitely one of the things that Uh, hooked me to the sport early on where um, I guess it was my first 50 mile race and it was just horrendous weather like sleeting you know sideways hail blowing into your face and just terrible like it shouldn't be fun at all Um, and I tripped and fell into a mud puddle like face planted in this icy mud puddle and someone 15 steps ahead of me ran back grabbed my hand you know, yanked me out of the puddle. And then we went running down the trail together. And I was like, that was really cool. And then a little bit later, uh, this guy running in a garbage bag, he didn't have a rain jacket. So it was just a garbage bag. He um, was running along and, you know, every single person should think, you know, this is the worst place to be right now. Uh, But he was just hooping and hollering. He was like, 
you know, whooping about how fun this was and just cruising along. And I was like, oh, I can get on board with this community, like making the best of situations and helping each other out. If that's what it's about, I'm in. Absolutely. But, but people are still competitive, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but even racing now where, you know, I'm trying to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. If you come across someone on, on the trail who's fallen or uh, needs something or just a hand up, you give it all the time, 100% of the time you offer right. that up because um, that's the type of people that are racing and uh, you're not wishing the worst for any of your competitors ever, but hoping that you all can you know, push each other to this really fantastic day and bring out the best in each other. Um, and do people hang out in your experience after the race? Well, I mean, you're finishing sometimes 24 hours ahead of other competitors, but, um, do people hang out after and greet each other or is that more pre-race? No, always after, usually yeah. after is the, the best part. People sit, set out their camp chairs, cheering for runners for hours, you know, they have coolers nearby full of beer or drinks of some sort. And then. Uh, yeah, bringing people in. But but you'll do, even as a super elite athlete, you'll hang, like for set sure. up the lawn, lawn chair so and fun. cheer for the average civilians? <laughs> Every single person covered the 100 miles or the 200 miles. So uh, to be there to see them come in is really special. I always try to stay. Um there's this great video out there. You've probably seen it. I think it's the first 70 year old woman to ever finish. It was either Western States or hard rock in under the time limit. Yeah. And it came down to the track, which is that Western States that finishes yep. on the track. Yeah. Yeah. And it came down. She needed to like run a two twenty, you know, 400 meter to finish. And the entire place was going crazy for her. And she, yeah. I think she made it by like two seconds or something, right? Yep. She just made it. It was super exciting. It's stuff like that. That is so cool to see. Oh yeah. 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 That's priceless. Oh, sorry. My uh, son's set over here. Oh yeah. I noticed that. Yeah. That's well, <laughs> is it yeah, okay? No. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We can see it, but um, no, we're, it's daylight savings. So it gets dark at like three 30 in Boston. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, and now, and then, but I think I, I have picked up sometimes I feel like the ultra community will look up. They're a little bit, um, wary of sort of bucket listers like, Oh, Hey, you, you know, maybe you're really super accomplished, whatever, whatever, in your per professional life. And you just, you know, you, you, you paid for an Everest expedition. And now you want to run a hundred miler. And so, I don't, but there's, there's a little bit of that, right. Where people are like, nah, is this, is he or she really uh, a trail runner or. I don't know. I can't speak to it. I've never encountered it, I guess. Oh, I would good. think, I would think they'd still be welcoming and uh, it's still a cool accomplishment no matter what. So yeah. get I mean, out there and see if you can do it. Yeah, if you're one and done, I don't know. Why would you get too worked up about that, right? Yeah, I've never heard that, but... Oh, uh, I'm so maybe, glad. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 maybe I don't have the finger, my finger on the pulse. You, you, so you're, you're too positive a person. People know better than to say anything negative around you. <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your favorite run? What's your favorite, well, favorite trail, training run, favorite race to run? Uh, any of the trails right around me in Golden, Colorado are some of my favorite. 
um, yeah. or getting to explore the, you know, 14,000 foot peaks around us are always really special. So Colorado is a fun playground to, to live in. And um, so any of those would be my favorite training runs. And I absolutely could never choose a favorite race. Really? I mean, they, there's just too many different reasons that they were fun. So, uh, yeah, I've loved them all. Everyone is pretty dramatically different, right? Yeah, really different. And then, you know, the people you're sharing it with add to it. And uh, any of the like hiccups along the way definitely add to the story. So they're all just these like cool memories for me that um, when I get to share them with people are the most special. Um, and is 99% of your training on trails? I would say probably 70% of my training is on oh, trails. Oh, really? Okay. So you'll go out for yeah. a 10 mile road run. Yeah. I like the roads. I like bike paths, roads, uh, dirt roads, and then single track. I think it's all, you know, offers its own thing. So I'll do a little of all of it every week. Um, and what are your, um, so you've accomplished a lot at a, at a, at a young age, but what, um, do you still have goals in the sport? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I want to keep figuring it out better and keep seeing how far we can go and how fast we can do it. So um, for me, just tinkering with those really long efforts are the most fun right now. And I want to just keep exploring that. Um, I mean, in terms of titles and things, you've, you've done a lot of that, right? Which is amazing. Do you want to be, uh, I'll, I'll show my New England bias. Do you want to kind of like be the, the Tom Brady of ultra running? Do you want to say like, okay, <laughs> You know, it wasn't enough to win one or two Super Bowls. I got to show. I got to show the rest of the world I'm. I'm uh, I can win six. I mean, do you, do you, I mean, you're you're a chill, normal, nice person. But do you? But do you? Does that cross your mind? I think like eh, it'd be kind of cool to win, you know, ten of such and such race. I mean, I want to compete, but I also uh, I don't care what the world says or if they think I'm a Tom Brady or, or a you know whoever. Um, I want to compete as best I can for as long as I can and, you know, see what, what that does and where that lands me. But I also hope that for sure there's, you know, generations coming up here soon that'll just blast that all the way. Like that's the coolest is if, you know, people can just keep improving on it and learning from what's happened in the past to make it better in the future. And are you, um, I know that the, the media has made a lot of you, uh, you beating all the boys in races too. Now, um, certain races, do you think about that? I mean, I, I mean, I personally think that's a pretty cool thing. And a lot of people <laughs> think that, you know, there's some science out there that says women are, are better equipped in some ways for these ultra long races. But do you think about that? I mean, I, is your, your role as a, you know, a female is breaking these barriers? Um, I mean, I want to, race against all the humans in the race is how I'll approach it when I'm actually racing. And, and I think everyone can bring something different to the table. You know, two men racing against each other are going to have different, you know, things that make them stronger or things that they can use to help them beat that other man. So then why can't I stand next to them also and have the same list of like, here are the things that will work in her favor and here's what she's 
got going against her in this. Um, but yeah, I think everyone should, you know, like raise the bar for themselves and not worry about where they're supposed to be finishing or what they're supposed to be doing and just go for it all in and, and see why not. But do you get a kick out of, um, or I don't know, do you, I don't know if you speak to school children or anything or um, give motivational talks to girls, high school cross country teams, but, but people must, you know, a lot of younger women must kind of groove on this idea that, wow, that's, that's pretty damn cool. She's, you know, you know, our best girl doesn't beat the best boy in the cross country team, but Courtney's doing this. That's it. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, I hope that it inspires them to, you know, try something hard. That would be cool. That's a good way to think of it. Right. I mean, to try something you thought was impossible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're, 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 you're too modest. No, this is that. <laughs> no, we were super lucky. We had, um, uh, we caught up with Catherine Switzer a couple weeks ago and, you know, first woman to ever officially run the Boston marathon. And, and she was truly kind of an accidental hero. She's her, her approach is kind of like yours. She's like, I didn't, I wanted to run the Boston marathon. I wasn't trying to prove something. I wasn't trying to make a statement. I was just like, I wanted to run it. Um, and I did. And, she's like I was kind of an accidental became an accidental icon and, and she had a she had a really really big impact on the sport right and you know, yeah for you sure can, you can trace title nine back to in some ways back to what she did in Boston um but I'll have to tune into that episode that's cool that you got to chat with her yeah it was pretty interesting she you know she shared some yeah some interesting insights and um but yeah, you know, kind of tough, tough Northern girl like you should ran through the snow and sleet in Syracuse, New York and trained up there with a bunch of guys. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to run the marathon one day. So that's um, cool. Back then women's cross country races were a mile and a half. They thought women would, would damage themselves, uh, damage their reproductive systems if they ran more than a mile and a half. So, yep. That, and yeah, actually in Minnesota growing up, we still were the boys cross country race 5k and we raced 4k. Is that right? Yeah. And that wasn't too long ago. So I don't know if it's changed now. Now I haven't kept up with it, but our race was two and a half miles. Yeah. Um, and on, um, have you raced much on the road? I, I haven't. No, I did a few road marathons after college and then, uh, quickly found ultra running and, uh, the snowball just started rolling then, and it's been all ultras since. No, I'm, I'm with, I do 90% of my running is on trails and it's so, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't quite understand why 90% of all running miles are not on trails, but you know, I'm not going to, yeah, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to, not going to think less of people who enjoy running on the roads. I get it. You're kind of out and some, some ways the views are better because you can see more around you, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Or like the quick thing right out your door so you don't have to you know, drive to a trail or something. I get it for sure. I hope uh, people will just explore a little more of the trails nearby. What I noticed actually during this pandemic um, with you know everyone working from home and kids home from school doing virtual stuff is way more families out on the trail systems in Colorado. Hopefully- Oh, that's great. Yeah, exposing all these kids to like, look at this cool playground that you have, you know, right down the street from you. Then maybe, you know, the next generation is 
coming through that like they learned about the trails because of hiking during the pandemic which would be a perk of something so crazy <laughs> no it's absolutely true no we had up in up we live not too far from the white mountains up in new hampshire and they were packed all summer long record yeah. numbers of visitors and you know yeah that's a good point that's that's a big positive um and i do think i always in our newsletter i always occasionally i'll try to point out that hey when if you google google trail running usually what pops up are are ultras and i always try to remind people that you can go for a two mile trail run yeah yeah you, you know trail running does not necessarily have to be western states or utmb it's like it can be a two mile run in the woods which is super fun and a lot of ways more interesting so yeah exactly um, it's a good point but it's, it's a good point about the pandemic kids getting out and so uh or, so I, I threw you off a little bit there but on your so if you ran are you tempted to run a road marathon and win some money and then go back to what you really love <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i'd be in the money <laughs> i don't know i don't know pick like you know hawaii or something to make the field, the field smaller I would love to try it again and see, because I know I've learned a ton just training and uh, racing a little more in the past years. So I would love to circle back to a road marathon at some point and, you know, see, see what I could do on it. But um, I don't know. We'll see if it, if it ever could be the focus of, you know, a few months in a row, or if it'd be just squeezed in somewhere where yeah. I'm trying to rely on the fitness from the trail stuff. All right, well, I hate to I hate to be so literal, but I, I'm sure you know three quarters of our listeners will wonder this. But what but what do you think you would run in a road marathon? I have no idea. Really? Yeah. I mean, so my best one, so I did two. They were after college. I took training very not seriously. Like I was a very recreational, you know, couple miles every day, and then maybe something longer on the weekends. And uh I did a 315 when I, as my best road marathon. So I have no idea what it would be now. Keegan Randall ran, uh, ran like 255 in New York last year. Yeah, she's That's amazing. pretty cool. She's yeah. awesome. Super cool. I don't know if I could break three. That sounds like impossible, but maybe that's exactly why I should try. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. It's, no, it's good. Good uh, settles a lot of barroom bets among runners. Like you know, who's who's tougher? And, actually, that'd be a good thing. Like put all the best uh, road marathoners, and you do do a two race series, right? You t- cumulative time. You do a twenty six point two on the roads, twenty six point two in the mountains. That would be super uh, cool. But a ton, you know, as you know, like ton, the Kenyan women would do probably do pretty damn well in in the hills, right? So. Yeah. Well, and I mean, depending. I might be gapped so far after the road marathon that I can't make up the time on the trails anyways. So <laughs> uh, it might have to be a 200 miler in the trails, but cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got a lot to follow up on here. All right. You've been so nice and so generous. We'll, we're going to hit you a couple quick questions. We've asked a couple of our other guests and um, we'll have a couple quick questions to get a little more insight into your personality. So all right, deal. All right, man. You ready? Ready. Uh, favorite, uh, favorite movie of all time. I don't think I have one, but I did recently talk to someone for a very long time about Shawshank Redemption and uh, how amazing that movie is. Incredible. I totally agree. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that is a great one. Uh, favorite book of all time? Impossible to choose. <laughs> but I love reading. I, re- 
I read a ton of books, but they're always just like easy reading, you know, something to take your mind off other things. So uh, they're never like noteworthy enough to remember the names even. <laughs> you do, um, do you do uh, books on tape? Do you run with things in your ears or do you like to go with, with no music, no podcast, no books? I usually go with nothing. Yeah. Um, sometimes on my road runs, I'll bring music, but never book on tape or podcast during runs. And is that, is there a reason for that or just that's what you do? That's just what I've done. I have this old iPod shuffle. And so I think that's part of the reason is it's just loaded with the music that it has. And so I keep just bringing that same thing. <laughs> so I guess I'm lazy. <laughs> oh, no, no. So one of those little tiny, like the size of a postage stamp. Yeah, shuffle that you they clip, don't clip make your sleeve. I, yeah. They should, right? It's still a good running product. So good. Yeah. Phones I don't want to carry my bigger. phone. Like no. I want to be running and not online. So not reachable. Like. Give me this old iPod shuffle. <laughs> All right. All right. I think we have more. Um, do, you, do you track every run on Strava or Garmin or, or wherever? For the most part, I always have the data from it. But yeah, um, yeah I won't necessarily plug in my watch. I'll plug uh, it in every week for sure at some point, but not every day. Yeah. Um, morning runner, evening runner, both probably. Mornings. Really? Yeah. Mornings for sure. And then oftentimes after work with my husband. So like a late afternoon, evening run. Um, yeah, that's really at dusk or. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Um, who, um, who, when, when they make the, uh, the, the Courtney's life story movie, what Hollywood star is going to play you? <laughs> <laughs> One of the interns in our office gave me this question. He's like, <laughs> that's so hard. I want it to be just a comedian. Oh, that'd be good. I can see Tina Fey. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, we need uh, input on that one. I don't know who it could be. All right. Uh, only two more questions. Then I'll stop embarrassing you. Um, best, best mentor for you through your life? Uh, my parents. Really? Are they, are they athletic? Are they, are they sort of sports mentors or or just great overall? They're just fantastic humans. I think they raised us really well and uh, yeah, taught us a lot along the way. And now they're really fun to drink a beer with. So I well, appreciate them a lot. Will you hold on? I'm going to get our three unappreciative kids into the room. I want you to repeat that. <laughs> Except for the beer part. They're too young. <laughs> uh, Last question. Uh, if you could have dinner with any one person, living or dead, who would it be? Who's an interesting person you'd want to hang with? Oh, man. I have no idea. But I hope it would be nachos followed by self-serve frozen yogurt. <laughs> That's so good. nothing fancy. Soda, soda water with lime or cold beer or uh, yeah. tequila a beer. drink? All a right. beer for sure. All right. We'll and substitute the a restaurant or place where sweatpants are acceptable. <laughs> oh man. Now I don't think your, your parents raised you right. That is not very ladylike Courtney. Come on. Um, what, what, favorite beer. Uh, the cold one in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> that ladies and gentlemen is our, <laughs> how can we end on a better note than that? Yeah. Uh, you, you are such a good sport to put up with my, silly questions and bad oh, life you. observations but you're the best and we will um no, we'll, we'll let you know when we're
we're going live with this, which will probably be within the next week or so. And, uh, but no, it's a, it's a ton of fun. It's uh, we're, we're so glad you made time for us. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun chatting.